Please open your Bibles to Luke 15, 11 through 32. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the church. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. May God bless to our understanding this reading of his holy word. Please join me in going to the Father's throne of grace and asking his blessing. O Lord God, as you have given me the responsibility to uh, proclaim your word and in so doing proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel, I pray for your help. Lord, I pray that you would not only open our ears and our eyes, but uh, open the eyes of our heart that we might be able to grasp how wide and how high and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. For those of you who are um, visiting with us, we are working our way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We've been in Luke now for two and a half years. We've been listening uh, to the teaching of our Lord and Savior. We've been studying his life. Uh, Frankly, in these uh, trying times, I think hearing from our Savior, studying uh, his life is a worthy pursuit. We are going passage by passage. So this morning we are in the, um, the parable of the prodigal child. I plan, uh, Lord willing, for it to be a two-part series. Uh, a friend of mine is preaching five, or has preached five series, five sermons through the, the prodigal son. Many preach three. They focus first on the son, and then a second sermon on the father, then a third sermon on the brother. Uh, I'm trying to do it in two, so I am alerting you that I hope to move as fast as my slow Georgia drawl will allow me. Uh, So, let me remind you that all three of, or Romans, I'm sorry, Luke 15, all three of the parables here, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now the prodigal son, are in response to the grumbling by the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, They were upset that Jesus' ministry was drawing these tax collectors, these sinners, and he was preaching to them about horror of all horrors, grace and salvation. They were offended because they thought that Jesus should be condemning them and sending them away. The definition of the word prodigal means recklessly wasteful. And so we're seeing this morning this foolish child squandered one-third of his father's wealth pursuing selfish pleasures in a far country. But his really contemptible behavior began before he left home. Uh, He was determined to go live his life 
the way he wanted to live it. And so when he demanded his share of the inheritance, he was not simply asking for, some, for money as, as uh, those of you who have uh, boys have, uh, have had your son come to, to you and, and ask for money. My, my dad, when I would come, you know, he knew what was coming. He'd say, you want some do-re-mi? Yes, Dad. I want some. I want some money, and um, but um, the elder he knew that as a second born, he would inherit one third of the of the uh, father's estate. The brother, being the first born, uh, would be entitled to two thirds, and to to make to make this demand. Um, suggests that this son regarded his father with utter, utter contempt. The issue was the son wanted to experience life while he was still young. But the father would not die. In effect, the son is saying, I wish you were dead so I could enjoy my entitled, entitled wealth. And his demand for the inheritance declared flatly, that he did not love his father. Uh, this young man was so self-consumed that he did not stop to consider what his demand was doing to his father. Can you imagine your son coming? I want my inheritance now. You could almost think of um, of. Uh, the queen's son, you know, she's, what, in her 90s, and he thought he was going to be king at an, at, a, at an earlier age, and he's still not the king. He is forever the prince, it would seem. And, you know, won't you just die, old lady, we might imagine him saying, because that is what the son is essentially saying to his father, and it was breaking his father's hearts. Many fathers, to be honest, would have disavowed their son and driven them away from the family without a penny. But, the father, but if the father had done that, there would be no possibility of reconciliation. The father's unwillingness to drive him away provided the foundation for the possibility of the son's return. So the son was throwing away his relationship with his family, but the father is throwing out a lifeline no matter how painful it was to see his son go, no matter how painful it was for his son to take his inheritance to go squander it. The father loved his son so much that he threw out this lifeline by giving him the inheritance rather than disowning him. One commentator said that the son wanted the father, I'm sorry, the son wanted what the father could give him, but did not want the father himself. Isn't that the way the lost treat God all the time? God, I want eternal life. God, I want you to heal me from this illness. God, I want you to give me an easy life. They put demands on God without desiring God. Um, they want his gifts, but they reject him as the giver. 
and it is as contemptuous towards God as the young man is being towards his father. Philip Ryken observes that Christians, or as Christians, we sometimes take the same attitude. Here's what Philip Ryken says. We object to God's fatherly disciplining, uh, wanting to have life on our own terms. We complain about God's fatherly care, demanding something better than what he is providing for us. We presume upon God's fatherly affection, expecting his blessing without depending upon him in prayer. Much of the young man's inheritance would have been in physical assets such as cows, sheep, donkeys, whatever. But he couldn't take these animals with him. So what he did was he went and he sold everything in just a few days um, and headed out into the far country with uh, suitcases full of money. Look at verses 11 through 13. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. As fast as he could, just in a few days, he's converted all the material possessions into cash so that he can travel light, so that he can leave home as fast as possible. He went to a far country. Why would he uh, feel the need to go to a far country? country? Well, um, the life he was eager to live could not be lived under the gaze of his family or even the wider community of faith. Um, So he traveled far away on his quest for personal freedom and fulfillment. Tried to figure out. I wonder what country this, or you know, what country, maybe what city did he go to, uh, to to live this uh, profligate life? Well, Jesus is telling a parable here, so Jesus is making it up from his own vivid imagination. But I think I bet Corinth would have been a city that would have that would have attracted his attention. Who knows? Uh, maybe Alexandria, Egypt. But this young man goes off to a far country so that he could uh, pursue his, his wickedness uh, without the gaze of anyone who would cause him to, to feel guilty. Uh, sadly, uh, many prodigal sons and daughters of the church have made that same journey uh, chanting, No more rules, no more authority, no more getting up on Sunday mornings. To go to church. You know, frankly, that's one of the reasons why we are so thankful that Aldo is out there as a, an RUF minister. Uh, we, have, uh, we have ordained ministers on all our campuses or, or on the major campuses uh, where we can support them. And they are out there pursuing uh, college students, pursuing our covenant children, some of whom are just like this prodigal child trying to get out from underneath the parents to go um, experience life with that so-called freedom that they have been um, uh, imagining all through their high school years. And so 
We're thankful for Aldo. Pray for Aldo as he is out there uh, seeking these young people, seeking to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and it's not just our uh, prodigal children that squander life. Um, Our life experience might slow down our own reckless living, but we can squander so much money on ourselves that there's little left over for God. The same goes with our time and our talents. If we were to do an audit of our lives, we might be able to reclaim untold resources that could be used for God and his kingdom. The prodigal son was so concerned to fulfill every desire that he had that he did not pause to keep a budget. With no money coming in and lots of money going out, he ran out of money a lot quicker than he could have imagined. And then... At the same time that his pockets were empty, a severe famine struck the country. Suddenly, this young man began to be in need. Things were so bad that he had to go work for a Gentile pig farmer. And I think Jesus added this uh, detail to the story to illustrate how desperate this man must have been. Pigs were considered unclean. They were not kosher. And this young man is going working for a Gentile pig farmer. Things were so dire, he was considering eating the pig slop. Look at verses 14 through 16. And when he had spent everything, bad timing here for him, God's providential timing, a perfect, um, I'm sorry, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And as he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. When I grew up in Georgia, we could walk back about a mile through the woods and you would come upon this pig pen that uh, one of our neighbors kept there in the woods. And it was so muddy, so nasty. I can't imagine wanting to eat alongside the pigs. But such was uh, the uh, desperation that this young man was feeling. You know, on the way to my home... There's a house that's dedicated to Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. And typically when I go by there, there are more cars in their parking lot than ours on Sunday mornings. Uh, Nobody in that house, I can assure you, grew up with the goal of being addicted to alcohol or to drugs. But there they are, weekend and week out. You know, the world says that you can live like you want to. You can do what you want to without consequences. But there they are, filling up the AA, the NA, um, filling up our county prisons. They have learned that there are indeed consequences. Um, And these people did not just make one mistake. They piled mistake on top of mistake on top of mistake just like this young man. And I want to pause here, and I want to make sure that we remind ourselves that this young young man's condition is a picture of everyone's spiritual condition outside of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, even if you have a well-ordered life, 
even if you have a full bank account, even if you have a stellar reputation in the community, you are a complete failure in the eyes of God um, in the life that he created you to, for you to live. Your life is such that God will judge you without remorse if you stand before him on the day of judgment without the Lord Jesus Christ. I came to college. Uh, I'm sorry, I came to Christ in college because I came face to face uh, with how hell-deserving that I really was. I was appalled at myself. I remember crying out beside my bed, God, if you don't save me and I really don't deserve to be saved, I know that I am going to hell, and I will deserve it. And I called upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and my life began to change. God was merciful to me, a sinner. The prodigal son had sown recklessly, and now he's reaping the consequences. And there was no safety net. There was no family that he could turn to, and of course, no father that he could look to for a helping hand. One of the commentators uh, said he had hit hog bottom. Every so often you see the commentators and they find something funny and they just can't. And I, and I kind of like it when they uh, break out of their, their seriousness and, and will say something like that. Because there he is living with the hogs. He had come to the end of himself. And in verse 17... His life was so hard that he finally came to his senses. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here without, um, here with hunger. Many of the tax collectors and the sinners, they were there listening to the Lord Jesus as he told all three of these parables. He's telling these parables to the scribes and the Pharisees. But these tax collectors and sinners are listening. And they, are un they have undoubtedly lived lives similar to this prodigal child. They, had, they were living immoral lives. They had turned their backs on the community of faith in defiance of God. But here they are, just like the prodigal son. They're coming back to their senses. That's why they were flocking to Jesus. Because they were hearing in him that they could have a relationship with God no matter how far they had fallen. They were, they were waking up from their stupor. Waking up, seeing life as it really was, and it was not pleasant because of the consequences of their sin. Are you awake to your need of Jesus? Do you need to wake up? Why would you continue living the life you are living without him? Think about the trajectory of your life. Where will you end up if you do not have Jesus Christ? Wake up. Go to him. Be like the tax collectors and sinners who are drawing near to Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. Trust in him. In verses 17 through 20, the prodigal uh, son begins to reason with himself, making a plan to return to his father. 
And in his reasoning, we're allowed to see the roadmap for how we can return to our Heavenly Father. First, he recognizes he's a sinner. Then, he submitted to his father's authority. If the father wanted him to be one of the slaves, so be it. In fact, he was going to offer to be a slave. Verses 18 and 19, uh, he was reasoning with himself, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your sons. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He makes no excuses for himself. There are no if, there are no buts. He recognized that his sin is against God when he says, I have sinned against heaven. And he also recognizes his sin against his father. And his awareness of his sin is so acute that he no longer believed that he was worthy to be called his father's son. He was resting on nothing in himself. He only pled for mercy. His only hope was that his father had not dissolved the relationship. The father sent him away as his son. And then he did something that is often overlooked. It says in verse 20, He arose and came to his father. Um, I've met so many people who have come to the end of themselves. They recognize that they are sinners and they need salvation. But they will not come. Maybe it's pride. Uh, Maybe it's they love their sin more than they love God. Maybe they just lack initiative. And they talk about wanting to come, but never do. Repentance is not just changing your mind. It's getting up and changing your actions as you go to God. And you turn away from your sin and back to God. And so he arose, got up, and returned to his God, or to his Father. Uh, Mandy, just uh, my wife, just reconnected with one of her friends from her past. And uh, she texted my wife. Uh, I am a failure as a wife, and I am a failure as a mother. And her husband, of course, he divorced her, and the, the children will not have anything to do with her. And she goes to church, and she says, I just feel like a project at church. I'm so needy that all I can do is receive other people's help rather than be a help to anyone. And my wife um, asked me, what can I say to her? My response was, point her to the father of the prodigal child. Listen to the rest of verse 20 as the son is returning home to the father. He says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son had his well-prepared speech. Uh, He starts off in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he didn't get to finish his speech. The father cut him off because the father started speaking to one of his slaves. And he says, 
um, to one of his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. My wife's friend returns to God. What should she expect to find? She should expect to find compassion and mercy, just like this prodigal son found from his father. That is the character of our God. If you want to doubt God's compassion and mercy, remember, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. 2,000 years ago, before you were born, God knew that you were going to be a sinner. He knew that you were going to be unworthy of his love. He knew that you were going to be a rebel. He knew that you were going to um, dishonor his name as his creature. But before you were born, before your parents' parents' parents were born, Christ died for the ungodly. God loved you before you even were uh, in existence. That was his, his love. So much so that he sent his son to the cross. As I've said before, quoting Spurgeon, it almost appears that God loves, loves us more than he loves his own son. Because he sent his son to the cross that we might live. Do not doubt God's love for sinners. Do not doubt God's love for you. No matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, no matter where you find yourself today, this picture that we have of the prodigal's father is a picture of God's love for you. And so... When my wife's friend turns to God, even before she can get a word out of her mouth, she receives forgiveness, love, complete reconciliation with her God. You know, we can just imagine some of the responses that the father might have given to the son. Do you know what heartache you have caused us these many years that you've been away? Or this classic uh, do you know how worried your mother has been? Do you know the disgrace you have brought on this family? Because these little tight-knit villages, they knew everything that was going on. They knew why their son was not there. They knew that their son was out living in a far country, spending his inheritance and the father could have asked about the inheritance. What have you spent it all on? You, what? It's all gone? You have indulged your selfishness without restraint? But there's none of that from the father. Instead, all the son receives is unfettered compassion. The son is in rags. The son stinks. Listen to Psalm 103, uh, verses 10 through 13. 
He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children... And I think Psalm 103, verse 13, was in the mind of the Lord Jesus when he was teaching this, this parable. As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He gave his Father unqualified rejection. He received unqualified acceptance. It says here, that his father embraced him and kissed him. In the Greek, it's the idea of continuing to kiss him, kissing him and not stop kissing him. Charles Spurgeon uh, preached a seven-point sermon just on the father ki- the, kissing the prodigal son. Um, and so he said, uh, the father's first kiss revealed much love. The second kiss revealed much forgiveness. The third kiss revealed uh, full restoration. The fourth kiss revealed exceeding joy. The fifth kiss uh, revealed overwhelming or overflowing comfort. The sixth kiss, strong assurance of salvation. And the seventh kiss, intimate communion with his beloved son. The father loved his son. We have all these actions here. I'm not going to go through them, but I will read it. Verses 22 through 24. It says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the, bre- the, the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted, fattened calf and kill it and let, it, let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. All these actions... By the father, bringing the robe, bringing the ring, bringing the the shoes, killing the fattened fattened calf. All these actions testify that the son was restored as a son. In fact, the beauty is to the father, the son never stopped being a son. Think about if you were one of these tax collectors, one of these sinners that is gathered to hear the Lord Jesus preach the gospel, to preach about grace, to preach about eternal life, to preach about salvation. And you are hearing the Lord Jesus talk about one sinner who repents and the angels in heaven rejoicing. And think about this picture of the Father loving the Son, even though the Son had done probably far worse than the tax collectors and sinners were able to do. And God here is rejoicing over them. God is rejoicing over you if you belong to Him. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for these three parables. I pray that you would... um, Reaffirm um, your love for us, for 
Lord, we, we struggle so mightily. We are so quick to leave. We are so quick to chase after our own uh, desires. We thank you that you receive us back uh, with full, complete forgiveness and reconciliation through our Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.